0: is from the book of Mark chapter 14 verses 53 to chapter 15 verses 20 and can be found on page 828 of your Bible. They took Jesus to the high priest and all the church priests, the elders, and the scribes were assembled. Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest and he was sitting with the guards warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many gave false testimony against him and their testimony did not agree. Some stood up and gave false testimony against him saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands and in three days I will build another not made with hands. But even on this point their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked, Jesus, have you no answer? What is it that they testify against you? But he was silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, why do we still need witnesses? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? All of them condemned him as deserving death. Some began to spit on him, to blindfold him, and to strike him, saying to him, Prophecy, the guards also took him over and beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she stared at him and said, You also were with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I do not know or understand what you are talking about. And he went out into the forecourt. Then the the cock crowed, and the servant girl, on seeing him, began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. Then after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to curse, and he swore an oath. I do not know this man you are talking about. At that moment, the cock crowed for the second time. Then Peter remembered that Jesus had said to him, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. As soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He answered him, you say so. Then the chief priests accused him of many things. Pilate asked him again, have you no answer? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further reply so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the festival he used to release a prisoner for them, anyone for whom they masked. Now a man called Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder during the insurrection. So the crowd came and began to ask Pilate to do for them according to this custom. Then he answered them, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he realized that it was out of jealousy that the chief priest had handed him over. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd and have him release Barabbas for them instead. Pilate spoke to them again, Then what do you wish me to do with the man you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, Crucify him. Pilate asked them, Hail, King of the Jews! They struck his head with a reed, spat upon him, and knelt down in homage to him. After mocking him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: What are you afraid of? A few years ago, uh, Kalina and I were starting up a new home group, that is a group that would meet in our home week by week to study the Bible together and to pray for each other. And it was a new group forming, so I was keen to have some kind of icebreaker, but I didn't really want anything as trivial as the term icebreaker suggests, so I asked them what they were afraid of. Now, it's come up too many times in the past few weeks, but I said I'm afraid of spiders, and... People said heights and other normal things that people were commonly afraid of. And we're going around, and then one guy said that he was afraid that it was all meaningless and there was neither God nor hope. there was a pause and said, okay, and we continued going around. And someone else said that they were afraid of being alone, afraid of having no one, And growing old alone. And I realised I'm not really, I'm not most afraid of spiders. People weren't most afraid of heights. I'm afraid of something else. And we all have fears that are common every day, closer to the ordinary. But we also all have these fears that are more terrible. More secret fears. Things about our life. And there are three incidents that we want to think about in this reading today. The first is Jesus' trial before the council. That council has a fancy name, the Sanhedrin. The second is Peter's denial that he's a follower of Jesus. And the third is Jesus' trial before the Roman powers, the governor Pilate. And in each of these, you see that there is fear, that people are afraid. But of what? What? So let's think about the trial by the Sanhedrin. This is after Judas has betrayed Jesus and Jesus is taken to the Jewish leaders. And Mark tells us the story by making sure that we notice who is there. So you can see it in verse 53 to 55 if you're following along. He mentions the high priest, all the chief priests, the elders, the scribes, the whole council. He makes us focus on who And we've been reading this story for so long that we know that these people are the opponents of Jesus. These are the adversaries he has had throughout his whole ministry career. So Mark makes us notice who, and we notice too that that means that this is the climax of conflict. And he also makes sure that we notice when this is happening. He makes us focus on when. The trial happens at night. And according to important sources of Jewish law and custom, a trial could not take place before sunrise or between sunset and sunrise. It had to occur during the day. But we know that this is a continuous story since Jesus was arrested at night in the garden. It's not until chapter 15, verse 1 that we read it becomes morning. The when of this story highlights the suspiciousness and the duplicity of the leader's actions against Jesus. So we're led to see that this is the climax of a dark conflict. And Mark also makes us notice the ambiguity of what. Many false witnesses arise with these leaders eagerly searching for witnesses to condemn Jesus. But condemn Jesus of what? What is the crime that the witnesses try to state? Jesus did say that the temple would be thrown down, but it's certainly not as clear or in the wording that these accusers use. Chapter 14 verse 59 says that their testimony did not agree. So clearly this is not about a measured, careful consideration of what Jesus is teaching Was. It's not disputing about what he plainly taught. This is clamour and confusion and commotion. It is not case and court. So the who and the when and the what show us that there is nothing clear and nothing open about this trial. They gather forces, they act in stealth, and they reach groping for a reason. But why? Why this desperate attack? Why do they trial Jesus? Why do they condemn Jesus? In the story of Pilate, it says, Pilate can see that the leaders handed him over because of jealousy. Indeed, the crowds were following Jesus far more than the religious leaders. So Pilate tries to appeal to that, to have Jesus released. But this is a select crowd, they're acting in stealth has paid off for them. The story about Pilate shows that he doesn't really get all there is to see, though. There is a more, I think, foundational reason for why the leaders act against Jesus. And I think that reason is fear. They are afraid. And they are afraid of Jesus. That's what we read in Chapter 11 verse 18 it says and when the chief priests and the scribes heard it they kept looking for a way to kill him for they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was spellbound by his teaching and in chapter 12 verse 12 when they realized they had told this parable he had told this parable against them they wanted to arrest him but they feared the crowd so they left him and went away. Of course, their reasons for being afraid are the reasons they want to put Jesus to death, and they are many. They're afraid because they are establishment, and Jesus is more like disestablishment. Afraid because they guard the tradition, and Jesus reinterprets that tradition. Afraid because they think of God as transcendent, far away, and Jesus shows how imminent, how near is God. Afraid because they like respectable company and Jesus likes troublemakers. Afraid because there are questions of power, questions of teaching, questions of popularity being thrown around, and they all come down to these two issues of authority and of Jesus' identity. And at all these suggestions, they are afraid. And you see that question about identity here. The high priest gets nothing out of Jesus with all these false witnesses, these accusations flying around. So he cuts to the heart of the issue the issue of what this whole story has been about, what it's been suggesting, what it's been alluding to, what it's been describing in image, in healing, in miracle, in parable, the issue of the identity of Jesus. The high priest asks, Are you the Messiah? The Son of the Blessed One. And we know what the answer to that is. Or maybe you don't, that's okay. But Mark, in his story, tells us that that is what this story is all about. He opens with that. This is the story about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. So when Jesus answers that question, he does so in the clearest terms. Now to us it might not sound clear, it might sound like Jesus suddenly broke into poetry, but in Jesus' world this makes it as clear as it can be. He quotes the prophet Daniel to say that he's not only the Messiah, but the Messiah understood as the figure who would resolve the problems of history. So he isn't just a political figure, he's not a one-time religious leader, he's not a celebrity, he is God's own son come to fix what is broken in the world. And so that's what the story of Jesus is all about. And it's the claim, it's the question that puts fear into the hearts of the leaders. And that's what makes this high priest say, why do we need any more witnesses? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? All of them condemned him as deserving death. The leaders resist Jesus as the anointed of God. He cannot be the promised saviour. They cannot accept that this man, this man, this Galilean, this friend of sinners, this sin forgiving, this demon defeating, this tree cursing, this temple cleansing, this Hosanna sung man, him, they cannot accept as the Son of God, as the Messiah. And we ask, why not? Why did they fail to see what billions of people over thousands of years have seen? And I think it's a hauntingly simple answer. Because when you are confronted with Jesus, when you are confronted with God's nature, God's words, God's presence, then you are, of course, afraid. They are afraid of Jesus because Jesus confronts them with all the problems, all the things that have been compromised in life little by little, all the things that they've accepted in a culture which, in fact, grates with the call of God in Scripture, all of the things in themselves that are in need of change. And they are confronted with all of this in the light of God's presence in Jesus Christ. And their response is to try to shut God up. They condemn Jesus because they are confronted with God. And they cannot take it. They cannot accept it. And so this story tells us what they did. And it tells us what we all do, it tells us what humanity has always done when confronted with God, to try somehow to shut God up, to shut God out. The Gospel of John puts it like this in chapter 1, and this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and the people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. Mark makes us pay attention to why. Why the leaders seek to destroy Jesus. And it is because they are afraid of him. And think about the story of Peter. Jesus' close friend Peter. He follows at a distance, trying to disguise himself as a bystander. He fails, he's recognised, but he denies knowing Jesus, the rooster crows. He's recognised by others, noticed to be a Galilean, and he, he intensifies his denial. I do not know this man you are talking about. Why? Why would Peter do this? Why would he suddenly deny knowing the man he has spent walking with three years, whose teaching he sat under and in whose steps he has trod? I think it is fear. Although clearly it's a different fear from the leaders who tried Jesus and condemned him as worthy of death. Because Peter followed Jesus on the way. He saw the miracles on the waters. He confessed him as Messiah. He saw the transfiguration. So it is fear. But it's not fear of Jesus that is unable to face him. It's the fear of following Jesus. It's the fear of what will happen to me when I follow Jesus. Because Peter, as we can see this morning, Peter can see what is happening to Jesus. The results of walking in his way are right before his eyes. And they're in our ears today. It is a fear of having the same thing that happened to Jesus happen to us all that misunderstanding, all that rejection, being alone. It's a fear of having the same thing happen to us. And then there's Pilate. Pilate's just a leader who wants control. He has a precarious position of power. It's frustrating for him then to be involved in these civil disputes, but he cannot let it simply go. But he too acts in fear. But not because Jesus threatens him and not because what happens to Jesus might happen to him, but because facing the question, on deciding who Jesus is, fairly, honestly, openly, justly, that itself is a costly exercise. A cost Pilate would not pay. It has risks. And so we might try to do what Pilate does. Try to outsource the choice about this man to someone else. Try to shirk our own responsibility and set before the world another option. But that choice is not to be put before others, it is put before us. It is the choice that we have to make, but the choice that Pilate asked others to make. He too was afraid, afraid that at Passover time when the city was heaving full of people, that people would riot if this man was killed or if he wasn't. He was afraid of losing control. So he did what those who cling to power always do. Just told the people in front of him what they wanted to hear. So let me conclude this sermon with what else happens when you walk the way of Jesus as a follower? Think about Peter's story. He's so afraid of what will happen to him if he confesses Jesus and if he continues to follow in his way at this hour. Clearly what Peter's afraid of is being treated the same as Jesus. And later in his life, that is what happens. Peter is killed for being a Christian. But it's because the hostile world is also afraid of that person like they were of Jesus. If we have a life that is like Jesus' life, then it is both, at the same time, a fearful life, a life that gets all this hostility, but also a wonderful life, an attractive, captivating life, just like Jesus' life was. It's at the same time, something that you can't help but look away from, and something that you want to get away from. That's Jesus's life that captivates the world, but the world wants to shut out. And a life that is like Jesus's life has that same effect in the world wherever it goes. The hostile world might try to shut up our Jesus-like life in little ways, like make fun of Christian belief, or sneer when we're open about the faith, or get disproportionately offended when we offer Christian teaching on social or moral matters. And it might also shut up a Christ-conforming life in other ways, in larger ways, to co-opt Christian ideas and make them palatable, secularised, or to dismiss the importance of religion altogether, or make religion threatening. But it's equally true that the hostile world is captivated by a Jesus-like life, like it was with St. Anthony, like it was with Gregory the Great, like it was with Augustine and Francis and Claire, and Teresa of Avila and Thomas Cranmer and Mother Teresa and Henry Noun. What the world needs most, most, is people who confront the world with a life that is just like Jesus' life. What the world most wants and is simultaneously most afraid of is a community of people who are like Jesus together and confront the world by just being in it with itself. A community of people for whom there is nothing more precious than fellowship with one another before God. A community of people for whom there is no greater joy than an individual who delves into the waters and rises a person. The world is most afraid of Jesus, alive in a person who stands before them with truth and in love. And that is the call of discipleship. Let us pray. God, you have loved us with a great and unending love we fear all that you would do in our lives and yet we yearn for it too so give us courage to hear your words to concede our sin to ask for forgiveness to take power for repentance and to offer before the world a Jesus like life so give us your spirit Lord and work in us his image and likeness that we may live good Dangerous, glorious lives. To the glory of Jesus' name, in whose name we pray. Amen.